Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your girl, Naisha Stone, and welcome back to Carve the Stone Podcast, where our positive news articles come to life. Um, as you know, we're your weekly source of positive news, and this is the second to last episode of the Carve the Stone Podcast for season one. Uh, we've been doing this since, I believe, December 5th, and we've only missed two episodes. I'm very proud of myself. Um, that's a that's a feat within, it, <laughs> within itself, um, but I really want to bring the next guest on. So before I do, I have a funny story of how I first met him. So if you know me, I'll always have parking tickets. And this is started back when I always have parking tickets. And so um, it's usually just because I don't switch the sides of the streets because I still think that's a dumb rule and they get a lot of our money from it. Um, but also I was going to college at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and um, they give you a lot of tickets. And sometimes you just don't have time in between classes to switch. But also I'll be being lazy too. So it's twofold. And I remember... This is probably like the third or fourth year. I didn't got some parking tickets. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go in. And it was like a hundred and something dollars. And I remember, and I was, it was my first time ever really going to this court or like being in court. I was scared. I'm like, I don't even know what's going to go on. And so I sat in there and I remember like being called up there and then, um, you kind of did your thing. And I'm like, well, I have a hundred dollars and I, I don't want to pay him. I was like, I don't have any money. And I was like, I'm working for myself. And our next guest was like, uh, well, I think you need to get another job. What I was like, and he still made me pay the tickets. <laughs> so wait, wait, no, no, no. You didn't tell the whole story. Hold on, so, wait, hold on, wait, wait. Oh, okay. our next guest, Derek Bosley, <laughs> who used to be a judge. We're gonna get into it, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, remember, I, I only charged you the original amounts. You I you know. didn't tell the story that you you accessed all those fees for not waiting so long to come to court. You didn't say that part. You forgot that part. <laughs> whatever, whatever. But that, that was that was great. We <laughs> But here's the good thing. Here's the good thing. As a result of that, right? And you saying I, I'm in school, I'm working, I can't come to court. We now do parking tickets via Zoom. So you could do it from your phone. Own, you could do it in your car, you know, sit, not driving, but sitting in your car. You could do your hearings. So you don't have to miss work. You don't have to miss school. So it, it actually works out nicely now as a result of that. So you Either can way, take I credit for that. Hey, hey, don't don't you do that. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I had to pay the tickets. But it was, it was that was a great uh, first experience with you. Um, that was very funny to me. And I remember seeing your LinkedIn, like, hey, you remember me? And then <laughs> seeing you a few nights ago, uh, because you were a headliner uh for our, for the Milwaukee Press Club. So backing up a little bit, um yeah, hey, yeah. How you doing today? Um, I'm, I'm really happy to have you. Uh, pe- most people know you for your your past as a judge, and I kind of want to talk about that too. But I want to mm-hmm. talk about you being an influencer, a foodie, um, your new job, yeah. but just overall, how you feeling today? Feeling good, yeah, feeling good. I um, yeah, it was a great weekend. We could talk all about that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I you know I I try to do as much as I can here in Milwaukee, whether it's introducing people to food, to new places, things of that nature. Cause people have an image of Milwaukee that um, it's like all beer and brats and happy days and all that nonsense. And so there's so much that we have to offer. So I try to get that out because I'm originally from Chicago. So a lot of my stuff's being shot down to Chicago. So they see it and then they come up here and spend that Chicago money. So that's the goal. That's 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 amazing that you're doing it for the city. Um, so I kind of want to back up into like you're like you ju- you were a judge for a very long time. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, what was the one decision or what was that one key point where that kind of made you step out of being a judge? Because you know, like you leaving leaves a big impact. I was just talking talking to someone about that. And they remember having you, and it was like he really saved my butt one time. Like I was in court for something he saved. He was like, but we need more people like him. And so like, what was it hard for you to leave? And like, what made you? 
Yeah. So um, I was a judge for 20 years. Um, and yeah, it was hard to leave because like you just said, you have the opportunity to influence people and help people along the way. Right. So get rid of some barriers so they could do certain things. But at the same time, I had done it for 20 years. Right. And prior to that, I was a, I was a prosecutor for seven years. So that's 27 years in the system. That was enough. Right. That was enough time for me. And so now I'm at Marquette Law School where I'm able to now train people the way I thought you should be a judge, right? So you talked about your friend saying that he really helped me out. So now I get to train those next generation of judges to do the same thing. And I love that. Hey, that's deep. Um, What are some key factors that you want to train or that you hope to see in future judges? Yeah, compassion, empathy, right? The, the, the problem that you have, oh, diversity, right? Um, there's probably, let's see, there's, uh, boy, maybe 575 judges in the entire state of Wisconsin. You can count the number of African-American judges on one hand. Well, probably two hands now, because I think we're up to eight, right? So just think about that. So the a more diversity, more black females, more black males, more Latinas, more Latinos, uh, more Asian uh, judges on the bench that are more reflective of what we look like, right? It, it, it's a different story when you walk into a court, you walk in there and the prosecutor's black, your attorney's black, the judge is black. And you walk in, you know, you have a feeling like, okay, right? I feel like I'm going to have a fair shot. And that's something that the majority community gets every time they walk into a court, right? They get in the court, the judge is white, the prosecutor is white, the defense attorney is white. And so they come and have that sense of security. So I think it's important that all different groups have that sense of security. So my goal is to get more diversity on the bench, more empathetic judges on the bench, and more judges who are active in the community, right? It's one thing to be a judge, do your job, and then go leave Milwaukee, right? I live in the city of Milwaukee because the city of Milwaukee is that important to me, right? It's a different story when you just come into town to handle a case and you go back out of town, right? So when you're in it, I'm vested, man. When people are driving down the street crazy, that's where I'm riding the bike with my little girls, right? That's where I'm walking down the street. When I hear gunshots and stuff like that, that's when I'm barbecuing and their bullets are whizzing by. I live in it. Right. And so I don't live on the east side or right? I live on the north side. And so I I, I want to be a part of that, man, because you get to feel it. You understand it. So I want to get more judges like that. Shout out to the north side of Milwaukee. North side. I'm here right now. Um, <laughs> you, you brought up something. You was like uh, when basically everybody in the courtroom is black. I don't know if you ever saw this, uh, but a black lady sketch show. Oh my God. Yes, and that's hysterical. You, you see the episode I, when they I did. all I know exactly. black and yeah. do. That is so and I was I literally was like, dang, that I wish I could put the two and two together because my head was like, oh my God. That is so cool. If you have anybody listen, if you haven't seen that, you need to watch that. That was good. Black lady sketch show and specifically go to the one when they're in court. It is so <laughs> that's a good one. That's a um, good one. So you're originally from Chicago. What is it about Milwaukee that has made you stay here so long and become so invested in this community? And where do you want to see the community go? Yeah. So here's the best part about it. I view when I moved to Milwaukee, Milwaukee reminded me of Chicago about 20 years ago. Right. And so I figured if I could stay here, we can avoid where Chicago is now in relation to public safety and things of that nature. And so that's why I stayed, right? Because I Milwaukee was so familiar to me because it was the Chicago I grew up in, 
Right. And so I decided I'd come here and try to, you know, it's kind of sort of like if you had the ability to go back and in time and change all the mistakes that you've ever made. That's what I looked at it like, you know, if we can, you know, focus more on the youth, get the youth involved with internships, get the youth involved with apprenticeships, get the youth in the trades, get the youth thinking about going to college, things like that. 20 years ago, it has that much of an effect 20 years from now. Right. And so that's why I wanted to stay. Cause I just saw Milwaukee's this perfect picture. Plus it was 90 miles from home. So I could always go home. Right. But it was still, you know, it, it's, you know, it, Milwaukee has so much going for it. And sometimes I think we have this inferiority complex with Chicago, right. Where we think that uh, we're not good enough, but Milwaukee is good enough. And we can, let me tell you how why Milwaukee's not good. Why Milwaukee's good enough. People from Chicago come up here and have no idea how great this city is. Right. They come up here. They enjoy it. They love to go out. They love the restaurants and everything is about 50 percent of the price in Chicago. Right. And so we're benefiting from all that. And so that's why I stayed here, because we can put Milwaukee in a good position. Would you ever have thought that the city of Milwaukee would have hosted both the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention in the in the same decade. Milwaukee, and we won the playoffs. We got the Pfizer. We man, got we got the Bucks. We got the Pfizer. We I just before we came on, I told you about the Trade Hotel. I mean, things are blowing up here, but but I need things to blow up outside of downtown, right? All the things we just talked about are where downtown, downtown east side. right? Yep. And so now we need all that development and things to start making its way to the north side, northwest side, the west side, so south side, so that all of us get to reap those benefits. How do you, um, I don't know if this is a big question or not, but mm-hmm. going on the development. So as we begin and whenever that starts, we start developing on the north side and just places that usually don't get it. How do we stop it from taking over too as well? Because in order to develop, some things have to be taken away. But how do we make sure that the people of Milwaukee are, like you said, are still benefiting from it. Do you have an answer for that? Yeah, I do. I, I absolutely do. So we need to invest in those various neighborhoods. So for instance, so you know Century City, right? And so Century City at one time was like, it was like Alice Chalmers. It was A.O. Smith. It was all these places where uh, Blacks, middle-class black, actually Blacks in the middle class, right? Good jobs, things of that nature. And so slowly, if we start redeveloping that area, it's starting. So there's a new thing out there right now called 100 Acre. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So 100 Acre is at Century City right now. And 100 Acre is a giant indoor farm. And they grow all the vegetables that you eat in all the restaurants in the city of Milwaukee. Right. And so their goal is to expand even larger and to hire more people to work that work that factory or work that, I should say, that uh, farm. And so if you get all the neighborhood vested and they all get and these are family sustaining wages. Right. So I'm not talking like eight dollars an hour, nine dollars. I'm talking about 15, 19 dollars an hour. So people can actually do something with that money. Right. And so. We're slowly starting to see that, but it's slow and it shouldn't be that slow. Remember I told you 20 years behind it, it, we need to invest in black people, right? So we need to come up with places where black people like to go listen to music, where black people like to go and eat, where black people like to have entertainment and entertain our entertainment district, right? If you go to Chicago um, and it's starting to happen with Bronzeville, it's really starting to happen here. But if you go to Chicago's Bronzeville, you walk in there and you're like, whoa, 
right? It's like Wakanda. You're like, this is crazy, right? And so things need to happen like that. You see it in Atlanta, you see it in Chicago, and it's time for us to have that. We need the city, the state to invest in people of color populations. I, I ain't too political and I don't want this to be too political, but I really do think it has a lot to do with like politics. Like there are a lot of people on the upper hand who really don't want to see Milwaukee succeed, even though, because it is a black city. When we describe mm-hmm. Milwaukee, it is literally a black city. And I'm like, like Atlanta, we are literally black, but they're like, nobody knows that. And we don't get the support that we like we need. Like we need Madison to be like, hey, we got Milwaukee's back every single time. And True. We, when we do not have that, but we make the most money for the state, but we don't mm-hmm. get the we don't get anything. And like you said, we do need entertainment um, things to go to because I've been complaining. It's nowhere for me to go. Like in my mid twenties, like I want to go, I want to go have fun, but you got to be this certain age. Or now they're all older, and you go and you don't really feel like this, like really for you. And so, like I really do understand, like in order for us to all grow, like we got to first start with the black people, to be honest, like, yeah. <laughs> and that's, well, that's just, <laughs> but we know we got to start with everybody, but we definitely really got to support and invest in our communities. And yeah, we, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it to that one. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, Cause we ain't go real deep on that. Um, but so being a judge, right. What are some, how, how has that shaped you as a, as who you are today? Cause you, you've helped with a lot of cases, a lot of criminal cases. So you've dealt with um, a lot of black men. Because we're, mm-hmm. we're the ones that they're, they're the ones that go to jail a lot. So mm-hmm. how has this job or this career impacted you to the, the man you are today? So what the thing about the job is it allowed me to do things that typically aren't judge related. Right. So, for instance, um, one of the things is that I go to communities that don't get a lot of representation. So I, I when I was a judge, I used to hold court at the rescue mission. Right. So you have a number of people who are down on their luck. They're homeless. They might have warrants. They're trying to get into housing. So I would have court down at the guest house and you would come in. I mean, they wouldn't show up for court, but they always showed up at the guest house for meals and clothing and things. So I just said, why don't we just set up shop there? And then when they come in, we can help them with warrants. We can get them into housing. They can get a a good meal and things of that nature. And so uh, we also set up uh, in the court, we also set up, uh, we we called it our, the jobs initiative. So if you came in and, and saw us and you had warrants, we would lift all those warrants, put you on a payment plan of 20 bucks a month or community service instead. And if you came back and showed us that you were employed, we'd wipe out the rest of those fines. Because we want to get you that second chance to get back on on track. And that's what allowed the job allowed me to do that. But what's great now is that I could do it on a bigger level, right? So I I have the ability to not only do it myself, but also train the next generation to do the same thing. How has this new role been for you at Marquette? Like, what have you been doing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, So I'm the director of the Lubar Center at Marquette Law School. And our goal is to bring people together. So we're a venue inside the law school. We seat about 220, 230 people. And what we do is we don't care what your political ideology is. We don't care about your ethnic background. We don't care about your socioeconomic status. We want to bring you into the law school to learn, to talk about with people who are different from you, 
and to try to solve our problems. So we do that a number of ways. So we do a, a thing called On the Issues. So we have one coming up June 1st here at the law school. We're going to have the police chief and the sheriff, and they're going to be here and talk about this summer and what we have planned this summer for prevention-wise to keep people out of trouble. What do we have uh, public safety-wise, how we're going to handle the lake, what's going to go on at the airport, what's going on in the county parks in the city to make sure we know what the plan is. People will be able to ask them questions. It's not often you have an opportunity to go somewhere and talk one-on-one with the police chief and the sheriff. And so another interesting point that you might not know, for the, in the first time in the history of this city, the police chief and the sheriff are both African-American. The sheriff is a black female and the police chief is a black male, first time in the history. And so we talked about creating places of uh, for people of color. And so I'm really excited to have them come in. So that's one thing we do, these on the issues. The next thing we do is this uh, thing we call heritage dinners. And depending on what the month is, so we had one in February. So I had five African-American chefs. They prepared meals that were introduced to the American palate by enslaved Africans. So you want to know why we eat fried chicken? Do you want to know why we eat mac and cheese? Do you want to know why we sweet potato pie? We talked about all that. So we brought all these people in together. You sit at a table of people you don't know. You eat. You listen and you learn. That's our model. Our model is uh, meet someone, learn something, try everything. And we try to bring people together. We just had one two weeks ago was Asian Heritage Month. So we had Chinese, uh, Filipino, uh, Hmong, Lao, and Indian cuisine. And you sat at these tables and you talked and you learned why people eat certain foods. And so the one thing that's great, no matter if you're black, white, Latino, Asian, you got to eat. Right. We all got to eat. And so if we don't eat, we all are going to die. And so it's important to get people together to sit down, break bread, eat and learn from each other. Plus, when you eat, it's disarming. Right. When you're sitting in a room and everybody's talking, people are on edge. Right. You're like you're waiting waiting to say what you got to say. But when you're in in a room, you're eating, you're passing meals to each other and you're eating. It's it's very, you know, it's settling. Right. You're not confrontational. So our goal is to make sure people come together to listen, to learn, right? Unfortunately, we too often listen to respond. You hear something, you're just ready to jump to respond on it, right? I want you to listen and to learn, not to respond, but to learn. So active listening, that's something um, I have been aware of and trying to, you know, get better at for like, I think like the last two to three years It's definitely a learning process. It's hard. Um, it is really hard. And so like, but ex Fabula, if you never heard of them, they're more. Oh, yeah. They, I remember doing, and they literally, they teach you how to listen to someone's story and you cannot say anything. You just sit there and you really listen. And I was like, oh my God, you get a whole different. Whole different. Per- remember, we listen to respond, right? People start talking. They say something here you disagree with. Everything they say after that, you shut down because you're ready to go next, right? And like ex Fabula teaches you, you can't say anything. Just listen, absorb it all. And that's, you know, it seems easy, but it's hard. Dang. You're just dropping gems. I want to go back. <laughs> you had said that on June 1st, um, you and some officials and stuff were going to talk about what is going to go on this summer. Correct. And so I kind of want to break it down to like our, our, our listeners and why it's important for us to go, like us 20 year olds and stuff like that. Because yes. I've been to these, I've been to these. Um, so a few years ago, I went to a random event. Around, I mean, they and I knew it was like a secretive event because they didn't really want anybody. They didn't publicize it a lot. Okay. We got the advisory last minute. It was at Deneen Park and it was about the all these rules that were putting for for the lakefront. So you couldn't mm. 
You couldn't drink alcohol. You couldn't bring um, coolers. You couldn't barbecue. It was a lot of stuff and nobody knew what was going on. But I actually took a picture of what they were going to do and it went viral. And that's when everybody found out about it. And so people just were putting their own opinions, but none of them actually went to the meeting. So none of them knew what happened. Yeah. But like that was just one like example of like, we need to be at the table. And so I know it sounds a lot like policy and why should I care? I'm going to do whatever I want. But if we never show up, they're going to keep giving us rules and hey. and they're good. And we're not, and we're going to keep people like me are going to keep leaving the city because there's not enough, enough of young people speaking up saying, this is some BS of how y'all treating us. We don't necessarily like these rules. We're not all bad. And other things need to, uh, we need to be there at the table. So. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so how, Yes. So what are some so you want to learn how to know about it, right? Yeah. So how to know about it, and what are what yep. are some more things you're going to talk about? Oh yeah, yeah. So we uh we we have a full gamut. Remember, and it's and it's not driven by me. It's driven by everybody who shows up, right? I'm gonna start the conversation with questions that I have, but then we're gonna open it up and say, hey, what do you want to know from these individuals? What do you want them to do? What do you want to see from law enforcement? So it's 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 not driven by me. I hope it's driven by the community. But to learn about it, you just have to go to our website. It's law.marquette.edu. And then you scroll down to events uh, or the Lubar Center, whichever one you want to do, Lubar, L-U-B-A-R, and you click it and it'll tell you the event. You have to register for the event and we provide lunch, a free lunch. So you, that the whole event is free, lunch is free, and you get to engage with uh, people that you don't have any contact with on a daily basis. But Naisha, you are absolutely correct. If young people don't engage, then people don't seem to care, right? However, However, you saw this last election, especially for Supreme Court. Young people came out in record numbers, right? And the candidate who didn't engage the young people got annihilated. He got crushed, right? Because he felt, I don't have to engage the young people. They don't care anyway. They ain't never going to show up. They're not going to vote. And those and the young people came out and voted higher than any other group to the point was to the point that they completely changed the dynamic of that election. So it, you, you've got to get engaged. And you're right. You hear it's policy. It's all these things that don't apply to me. But every all politics is local. Right. Everybody's so worried about president and all that stuff. And that's great. Right. It's good to be worried about that. But on a daily basis, your local officials have more effect on you than the president does. Right. And so. Uh, I'm telling you, yes, vote for the president, but remember to vote locally, especially for judges, right? I mean, I know a lot of people, young people who are eligible to vote who haven't voted for a judge ever in their life. And then when they come in front of a judge, they're always like, oh, he treated me terrible, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, he's only there because he was elected to be there. Did you vote for him? No, I didn't vote at all. Well, you get what you know, you, you get what you don't participate in. And so. I'm trying to get more young people involved in the voting process. Yeah. And I think it's just not even necessarily just about the voting, but just making sure that we just understand what politics are. The only reason mm -hmm. I began to even have a conversation because I am a journalist. So when I was working for newspapers and stuff, they like go to this event and it would be mm -hmm. so boring. And like these meetings, we like, there's no one gay. Like, oh my <laughs> gosh, I will never, ever, ever do a, a, a court beat a day again in my life. <laughs> never in my life. Like I would be sitting there like, please stop. Stop it. Oh, my God. But it's very important that I went to these events and I met these politicians so I could understand. Like, I remember before uh, well, I had an alderman and I remember when I found out what an alderman was. And so I was like, oh, I can email them. 
I emailed them and I was like, my granny has been living on this block since I've been born and this light has been going off and we just dealt with it and they came and replaced it. And my yeah. granny was like, they just ran and replaced the light pole. I was like, no, I actually emailed them yeah. and they came and replaced it. And it's like knowing the power of that or like, I got this pothole. Where is all our money going? We got these parking tickets. Hey, we need to yeah. be doing, like holding people accountable. And that's like so important because we can't keep electing people and can't paying people salaries. We paying their salaries mm-hmm. and they're not doing anything for us, but they're talking all this stuff going on in the news. So it's up to us. Like we got to start saying stuff and we can't be scared too. Cause I know it is can be scary. Cause you don't necessarily feel like you got a backing, but it's enough young people for us to. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you, you said something earlier that I don't know if you understand how much of an effect you can have. So you mentioned the fact that uh, Madison takes a lot of money, tax money from the city of Milwaukee, but does not give back its fair share to the city of Milwaukee. In fact, they've, it, we call it revenue sharing and Milwaukee has actually been given the same amount of money for the last 20 years. We've given the state more money each year, but they've returned to us the same amount for 20 years, right? There's nothing in 20 years that hasn't gone up. The price of everything's gone up, gas, eggs, milk, whatever gone up, but we were getting the same amount of money. So we have to put pressure on our state officials to change that, right? Local officials don't affect it, but state officials do that. So you're right. It's an email. It's a a letter. It's showing up there saying, hey, I want to set up an appointment to talk to the people who are against Milwaukee and what Milwaukee's trying to do. Yeah. So more on to some positive stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, you know, um, people talk about the city, right? Um, but what do you want them to know about the city and specifically the food? So you're yeah. a foodie and your stuff be going crazy. So um, <laughs> eventually you got to we got to go out to eat because you could yeah. be eating great. So I, I definitely want to go to whatever restaurant you suggest. Um, but can you talk about like literally the food scene here yeah. and just how you kind of became like an influencer? Yeah, so. The food scene here wasn't the way it is now. When I first moved here, the food scene wasn't like this. This is what happened for us. It was to our benefit. We talk about Chicago and our relationship to Chicago. We're 90 minutes away from Chicago, right? And what happened, Chicago became saturated with amazing chefs from all over the country. Right. And it became hard to open a restaurant in Chicago because on your block are eight different restaurants. So a bunch of chefs are like, you know what? forget this. I'm going to go up 90 miles north and I'm going to open up a restaurant. So we got this influx of amazing chefs from all across the country opening up restaurants. And once they started opening up these restaurants, we became this foodie scene. And so my goal was try to to get the word out. Because, you know, people are very, like, particular. You know, they're like, I always eat this here or I always go here. And I know people who every week go to the same place yeah. or might have been to this. I my mean, mama. <laughs> right, right. No, it's, it's it's a lot of people. And so we have so many different types of, I mean, come on, you could literally go to the South Side and eat Mexican, Puerto Rican, Dominican, uh, Colombian, Venezuelan, Peruvian, all in Milwaukee, right? And then you can come to the East Side and have African, Somali, uh, Ethiopian, uh, all these different types, Jamaican, Right. We have all these different types of restaurants. I mean, I tell people restaurants all the time and they're like, oh, I never heard of that. I mean, Mo Bay's turning out great Jamaican. Just went food. there literally what, two, three days ago with me, me and my family. Yep. Mo Bay's killing it. Pepper Pot's killing it. Um, there's some great, great restaurants. I, I'm a huge fan of Mikasa's Sioux Cafe on uh, King Drive. And shrimp and grits. You had- Man, them shrimp and grits are the best 
I've ever had in my life. In my life, Belly's Bistro is killing. These are all black owned restaurants. And don't sleep on confectionately yours. They Love do. Them. Man, do you know that they got a new spot on King? Yeah, they, they got these little turtle things. Like, if you have oh candy man. turtles, but they're like, they are gigantic. And yep. then pecans come. Dude, I have to stop myself from, like, I had to stop myself because I would literally go too much. And I'm like, bro, these are delicious. Oh, and they do the banana pudding in the cups. Oh, man. Mason jars, I mean, you know, you get the, so, I mean, we have some amazing restaurants, amazing Black-owned restaurants. I, and we need to support them. We need to support all the restaurants because, man, I mean, it's it's a world class city where you can say, "Hey, I want to get Korean." Oh, you need to go there. Or I, I want to get uh, any, what, what's a good, really good soul food restaurant? Oh, you need to go there. You know, when you have those options, oh man, it's we and we need to support. And so I became it just because I kind of started putting out stuff on social media, and people would be like. Oh, wow. And when I first started putting out, my pictures were kind of janky, you know, but now, I, you know, I've been doing it now for I don't know, almost 10 years. So now my picture is a little bit better. So people oh, see no, it. Way better. You, I see you. I see yeah. you. And I'm just trying to get people to see it and start salivating and saying, I got to go eat there. So, yeah, it's uh, did you eat anything nice? Or are, you, are you picky? Oh, I, I like to try everything. I'll at least try it. I was just telling them, I, um, my mentor had me try some oysters, so I couldn't get oh, some. Man, I actually I swallowed oysters. it, but I put. Man, dude, but I at least tried. I love it. me some. But I love yeah. calamari though. Look like yeah. so, look, but calamari's great. It's, it's not have you had, so, so those are raw oysters, right? Have you have you had them fried? They come fried. Yes, you need to go down to St. Paul's Fish Market in the public market downtown. I love the public market. Go to St. Paul's Fish Market and get a fried oyster po' boy. Oh, mm. better yet, me and you will go. Okay, all right. I'm gonna hold me you to on the Carbon Stone podcast. Yeah. Um, oh no, no, that's easy. I got you. <laughs> a few more questions though. So, would yeah. you being um, I know you didn't come into being a judge just to like have this platform and just to, like be this face, but you kind of are this face now, um, of positivity. So, how does that feel for you? And what do you hope your what legacy you leave behind? Ah, uh, well, you know, Lexi, I hope to leave behind is that, uh, you know, I did the best I could with the limited gifts I had. Right. So, uh, everything that was, was, was given to me, um, is, you know, the saying is this to whom much is given much is expected. Right. And so I've been wonderfully blessed. And so Marquette gave me a scholarship to go to school. You know, I didn't have to pay for school because of that scholarship. So it's important for me. I got a quality education. It's important for me to try to do the same for someone else. There's a saying I think about all the time. We live our life like, you know, I like, like, you know, it's carefree. You just, you just live your life. But I always tell people this, you have two lives. And the second life begins when you realize you only have one life, right? So people are just live their life. But when you realize that you only have one life, if you have any scare medically, or you were in an accident, or you were in a dangerous situation where you could have died, right? You had this epiphany that I only have one life and I needed to live it to the fullest, right? And that's to leave the world a better place than when you found it. Um, I know we don't have enough time to talk about it, but I know you had like some, some medical issues mm -hmm. like it's i remember you talking about it at the milwaukee press club so how has that kind of affected like your life and what do you want to do when it comes to like um helping people like with their was a kidney failure or yeah yes yeah, so i had kidney failure so i had a kidney transplant and then i had covid when covid first came out in 2020 back in march when no one knew what it was and so those experiences let me realize that 
if the kidney didn't take me out and COVID didn't take me out, apparently somebody has got a mission for me, right? I got so much more to do. And it's not just to sit around and just worry about me. It's to help others. And so for the, whatever time I got left, I'm just going to give it all. I'm going to go hard for whatever I got left. And then, you know, once it's all said and done, I can say, you know, I did the best with what I was given. I love it. So, how I end most of my interviews, when people listen to this podcast, what do you want them to get from it? Yeah, we've been talking about it the whole time. If you can live your life this way, there's two There's two things I'm going to say. Um, if you think more about we than I, then you can turn illness into wellness. Think about that, right? If, if you forget about the I and think about we, you can turn illness into wellness. That's one. And then the second I always say is to remember to the world, you're just one person. But to one person, you can be the world. And if you think that way, then if we all live that way, this world would be a better place. How wholesome and how just perfect for this podcast. You know, your <laughs> positive news. Thank y'all so much. And like I said, we have one more episode before we end season one. It's been definitely a journey. This has been a really great episode. I really appreciate it. I'm holding you up on that po' boy. I think yes. I've had a po' boy before. Oh, then we're doing this. Okay. We're doing this. So hit me up with your cell after this is over. And then we'll connect on that. I, I just also want to say this. I'm really proud of you. I'm really, really proud of, proud of you because you have a platform and you're using it for good. And I really appreciate that. Don't stop. And if you need something, you let me know because I'm going to help you uh, continue that goal. Aww, this is a great start to my morning. Thank you so much. Yep. And y'all remember, in the end, everything will be carved in stone. In the end, everything will be carved in stone.